that's what football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson with some breaking news. Well, the news is that Debo Samuel wants to get traded from the San Francisco 49ers. So it's great. News breaks right before we go live here on YouTube. Yeah. We already knew that, though, right? That he, like, really wanted to get traded, though. Yeah. Oh, wait. You you already deduced that from his Instagram deletions? Uh, also, there was, like, posts from his brother or something saying that he wasn't going to be a 40. Like, it was out there. I missed that. But this was, like, I mean, we're talking about it as breaking news right now. Okay. So let's okay. talk Debo Samuel and some... some uh, you know, potential trade destinations. A couple other housekeeping items. We did already pre-record our player comp show mm-hmm. with Nate Tice. It was a great show. It was long. We it was fun. Kept the poor guy for almost two hours. I mean, but look, he knew what he was getting into. He's seen the show before. Yeah, he's definitely he, – I think he knew what he was getting into. But um, we had a lot of fun. And that'll, that'll, that's going to drop tomorrow in the usual time slot. So 10.30 a.m. here on YouTube. We could probably get the audio up right around that same time as well. Uh, but, yeah, we had a lot of fun going through player comps, went back to the 90s for some. Even and, further. And even further. We went into the 50s or 60s or whatever. whatever. Yes, we went way back for some comps there. So uh, we had a lot of fun with that. That'll be coming out. So yeah. check it out. Mm-hmm. You got a charity update? Did you hit your goal yet? I No. I'm up to 2,100. And I'm pretty close to just calling it so we can move on to baseball. Are you just going to call it? I mean, unless someone You're comes in steal and gives me four hundred more dollars from the kids, <laughs> unless somebody comes in and throws four hundred dollars on this thing, so we can get to the goal of twenty five hundred, I'm out. It's not happening. We're it's stalled. Still, it's still a good donation. We appreciate everybody for donating to Sam's charity or to my charity. Um, in our pinned tweets, both trying to get to twenty five hundred. You're a mm-hmm. little closer than I am. I'm creeping up toward a thousand. I mean, yours really is the jackpot. You've raised money, and you're not going to have to do anything. Yeah, and God knows you did nothing in terms of like you know <laughs> preparing the the, the hope, graphical package. Hope or, is here. You know, wasn't a lot of effort that went into yours. Generally, there was a lot of effort uh-huh. that went in. It was my friends over at Heritage House were taking care of those guys. Yeah. So appreciate everybody that's already donated. Get to mine or Sam's and keep going. One of us will get to twenty five hundred. But if you want to call it, we'll we'll see. We'll I mean, talk about it next we, week. We may have to. It's we've we've hit a plateau. We haven't gone up for a while. Uh, do you have anything else before we get into this whole thing? No, no, no. Let's go. All right. Well, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day or on draft night. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com. Slash PFF. All right, let's get into these Debo Samuel rumors. 
elite wide receiver slash running back from the San Francisco 49ers. He wants out, Sam. Yes. Uh, why does he want out? He's three years into his career. He's heading into year four of his rookie contract. Is He's just unhappy that he didn't get paid yet. What's the deal? Yeah, I would assume so. It's always it's always money, right? I mean, he wants the new contract. He wants a giant sum of money. And I would imagine, pure speculation on my part, but my assumption is when they came to the table and they're like, all right, let's start talking next contract, whatever the opening of that negotiation was was very far apart from where he wanted to be. And it was like, oh, well, okay, if that's how I'm valued here, I'm out. I'm going to go somewhere else where they do value me. Where do you think that range was? Because we, we did a daily on this a few weeks back, and this is as we're talking average per year has gone up drastically among the top wide receivers in the NFL right now. This is why there's, there's A.J. Brown. Did A.J. Brown do the uh, Instagram deletion he, too? He deleted Tennessee from something. I, mm. I don't remember what. I just remember reading that Tennessee is no longer a part of a profile of his somewhere. Yeah, we've been sitting here joking about, you know, this Instagram like profile manipulation and yeah. all that stuff. It's real. It so you've is got, real. You've got Debo, you've got A.J. Brown, and then Terry McLaurin is the next, is the other one due a deal at some point. He, as far as I'm aware, has had no deletion on Instagram of any description. So he's no, just, he's got some fresh commander's gear. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, he's just quietly trying to get a contract <clears throat> out there, not... Yeah, not deleting things. Yeah. So so here's the average per year for the top receiver contracts. Tyree kills at 30. Devontae Adams is at 28. Both of those happened this offseason after both guys got traded. DeAndre Hopkins is at 27.25. The Hopkins deal coming into this year, Hopkins was five or six million above anyone else. So now two people are ahead of Hopkins. Nuke is sitting there at 27.25. Stephon Diggs signed a modest 24 million dollar per year contract this wow. offseason as well so that would have been the highest non deandre hopkins contract right? right so those top four are really in a different world then you get into dj moore of the panthers a little over 20 keenan allen right at 20 mike williams at 20 amari cooper at 20 chris godwin at 20 so there's a tw- there's a group at 20 who are really good receivers and then the top four you would say are absolutely elite receivers make it anywhere between 24 and 30 million per year and Debo Samuel's probably looking at this saying I want to be in that 24 plus range and you and I talked about it like yeah we would probably be closer to the 20 range for Debo Samuel is that is that fair in assessing this this wide receiver market and where Debo fits in here by the way AJ Brown should probably be in that top tier very soon as well yeah I think it's fair but the point being like what does he what does his camp think about that sure of course the thing with Debo He's in this weird spot where if you're, if you're Debo Samuel specifically or if you're Debo Samuel's agent slash, you know, advisors, if you're in his circle, the circle of trust, yeah, you know, yeah, of you're there, you can legitimately believe, credibly believe that you are, you deserve to be paid as one of the, the league's primary playmakers, like one of the best paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL. Because if you look at what he did last year, the numbers are insane. The performance was crazy. He was used in this not quite unique role because, you know, Cordero Patterson had a bit of that as well. But this hybrid situation where he's taking legitimate running back carries. So he racks up, you know, including or just the regular season, 1,400 yards, uh, six touchdowns, just receiving. And then you add in what he did as a rushing threat. And it, it adds another almost 400 yards and eight touchdowns to his tally. 
like that that puts him up there with anybody. So Debo's out here going, well, who else can who else can match these numbers? I if this guy's getting thirty million a year and this guy's getting you know that level, that's that's where I need to be. But the 49ers are looking at this and saying, okay, but how much of this was, you know, how much of this was Tin Cup over here? Kyle Shanahan creating this, like, amazing round of golf out of the shovel and the, the rake and whatever. Like, I can, I can make magic happen out of these garden tools. The, the fact that you were the beneficiary of this doesn't mean I should then up the value of what I'm paying you. That, so it's a tough one, right? Because And look, it, it, it's a... It's a binary world we live in, right? It's either all or nothing. It's like either Kyle Shanahan creates magic out of nothing or Debo Samuel's the greatest uh, player in the NFL. There's nothing in the middle. I'm not saying that Debo Samuel is 100% a product of Kyle Shanahan. We saw at the Senior Bowl that dude was uncoverable. We saw in college that the guy was amazing. He will be a great wide receiver wherever he goes. But the question is, that extra 400 yards and the eight touchdowns and the the unique threat that he brings to the 49ers as this hybrid weapon this guy that can line up in the backfield this guy that can break defenses from a personnel standpoint how much of that is Kyle Shanahan and how much of that is applicable in any other offense in the NFL I think a pretty large portion of it is Shanahan essentially his value is highest to the 49ers who are probably acutely aware of that and therefore don't want to pay him what he wants to get paid yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there in the middle as well. I mean, we've said many times on this show the fact that you, you don't find the skill set of a receiver who can line up out wide, run a really nice dig route, run a vertical route tree, and literally on the next play line up as a running back and look like a good running back. Pick up five, pick up six, read blocks, make one cut, and then finish with power. I mean, so legitimately two different skill sets. And that's new, by the way, right? I mean, so that just happened this year because I – my description after the 2019 season was you can't find a guy like Debo Samuel that often that can run the receiving tree and then also be really effective on jet sweeps the way he was because that's how they initially used him, right, in the jet game. And he had 19 carries. He had over 13 yards per carry as a rookie on 19 carries. Right? He was a, a gimmick weapon. And then this year he carries the ball 86 times for over 500 yards, including the playoffs, and nine touchdowns. So – they expanded his role this year coming off of the the injury so yeah on one hand it's like yeah Shanahan has a history of put somebody back in the backfield hand the ball to him he's gonna average four and a half per pop and look great right on the other hand Debo is a very unique player right he was averaging almost six per carry he's a receiver doing this we talked about how that breaks defenses but my question is does that now has that artificially inflated his value so the fact that he was a very good running back last year, has that, has that made Debo feel more valuable than he is and feel like he's in that 28 to $30 million a year range when the reality is he's probably in the $20 million range unless he goes to a team that truly does use him in that hybrid role? No, but I, I think it's like running backs, right? It's like the fact that you were able to do what you did is amazing and the fact that you take a beating and all these kinds of things, it's a really difficult job. But it's obviously, and backed up by evidence, like you are generally not the driving force behind this, right? A running back is less of a driving force behind the rushing success than the blocking. Like that's, that's essentially been proven out. So 
you want to give credit to the running back when he has a great season and the, the James Conner thing with Arizona, right? James Conner comes in, great season for Arizona. It's like you want to reward that. The guy did a great job for not much money. It, the, the natural inclination is, well, let's, let's reward him for that. He deserves it. But you're, you're sort of sending the resources to the wrong place or you're rewarding the wrong thing. So, it, I mean, it, again, it's, it's different um, levels. It's different percentages of play here because I think Debo is a bigger part of this than running back versus blocking. But it's the same idea. Like Debo and Kyle Shanahan's offense with San Francisco is this amazing match made in heaven but that doesn't necessarily mean that because it's because the sum of the parts is greater in San Francisco, that San Francisco should therefore pay him more money. Because automatically it means that, like, there's something in it for Debo as well to stay there, right? Like, you will, nev- you will not be as successful anywhere else as you are right here. So why would we pay you more money to do that? Because that's in your interest as well. Do you think Debo is upset? With his usage pattern. Do you think he no. doesn't want to play running back? No, I doubt it. Or I think, is I think he it's... just trying to strike while the iron's hot and saying, my values, I mean, we'll just say my values well, are as high him, as it's right? going to be. It's all those guys that year, they're due contracts now. This is how the world works. So yep. all those guys are looking for their, their big deal. The second contract, that's the big one, right? This is the big contract that everybody in the NFL is looking for. You excel, you do well on a rookie deal, and you get a monster payday for your second contract. And that's the one that sets you up with generational wealth, right? Not only are you set, but your kids are set, their kids are set, you're done, right? That's your, you made it. That's the jackpot. So this is the one that everybody wants to get right and maximize the amount of money they're getting paid. So for, it, I, I'm not criticizing Debo at all. That guy wants to maximize the amount of money he's getting paid and he's coming off the perfect year to do that, right? He was legitimately an offensive player of the year candidate last year and therefore has every right to expect that he should be getting paid as well as anybody in the NFL. The problem being that the other side is almost certainly looking at this and saying, yeah, but like what percentage of that production is us? You know, what percentage of that production is manufactured by this offense and therefore what percentage of Debo can we create with somebody else? Yeah. Like, if we take Brandon Ayuk next year and make him Debo, what does that look like? Or if we draft somebody and we make him Debo, I don't what does that look like? So I think the question's different, though. It's, to me, the question is, because I don't think everybody can do what Debo did. Of course not. But, like, again, it's, 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 Kyle Shanahan has this history of taking weird athletes and using them in unconventional ways sure. and turning them into superstars. So maybe they don't take, like, Ayuk and ask him to do exactly what Debo did. But can we create an offense around Ayuk? Or can we pivot back to creating the offense around George Kittle? Can we draft somebody and create the offense around that guy? My point being, if you're Shanahan, you're like, this, this thing doesn't have to revolve around Debo. It just did last year. Like, what happens if we say, bye-bye, Somebody else can pay him. We'll take a first-round pick or whatever it is, and we build an offense around one of these other special athletes we have. Trey Lance. I mean, look. I mean, that, Trey Lance is probably taking Debo's carries, yeah, to be honest, next year. This is what San Francisco has to be asking themselves yeah. and probably saying to Debo's camp, which is, which is probably why they're not, they're just not on the same page here. We generally look at – all of these things from a team standpoint, right? I've heard I've heard players complain in the past that like fans fans always side with the team, 
rather than the player. Why don't you want players to get paid? And it's like, well, well, because fans are rooting for their team and they're trying to, you know, get in the head of their team and make good team building decisions. So from a team perspective here, it is interesting that you, you made this incredible draft pick. You got essentially two years of great play out of Debo Samuel in injury season two, and he's a special player and now he wants out. And I'm sure that's uncomfortable for the Niners because you'd rather have Debo Samuel at the same time. I try to take that 50,000 foot view sometimes or 30,000 foot view, whatever it might be. 50 is very high. 50 is very high. Mm. You might not be able to see it. Let's just stay cruising altitude as well. Like 33,000 feet or something. Let's say 30,000 foot view. Let's do that. And I look at awesome second round pick few years of, of excellent play on the cheap. And now if you can flip Debo, he's upset, but if you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff back for Debo Sam, if you're going to get a whole bunch of draft picks back, the money that you would have paid him can be dispersed everywhere uh, elsewhere along the roster. Uh, the draft picks that you gave up to go get Trey Lance, you're going to you know maybe get some of that back. It's not a bad place to be in with the 49ers, except it's uncomfortable because, man, it's so much more fun putting an offense out there with Debo and Ayuk and George Kittle, and now with Trey Lance and the uh, the way that he puts defenses in a bind. Yeah, I mean, and, but and from a play, I just want to say from a player perspective, I get it. I mean, the players are are taking taking things into their own hands over the last couple of years and pushing the envelope as far as trying to get paid, guaranteed money, the timing of when they get paid, and I'd say good for them. You know, go get paid when you have an opportunity to do that. The I don't think that Debo's value or Debo's value is highest in San Francisco. So he's not going to be better anywhere else than he is in this offense. And I think the 49ers are the best team to maximize Debo's unique talents. Like the best place from both perspectives is for Debo to stay in San Francisco. The problem is in order to do that, Debo probably has to understand that, hey, look, for you to be for you to be your best self, you need to accept that this is the best place for you to be, and therefore you're going to have to take a little bit less money. Now, if he doesn't want to do that, if he just wants to say, look, I'm only in it for this contract, I will be 85 90% of myself production-wise to go play for the Jets or you know, because they're going to pay me $5 million more a year. Fine. I, I don't know. I, I can't criticize that. It's a man's decision. But to me, the best marriage here is for Debo and the 49ers to stay together for the kids. You know, stay, stay together. If they Shout do, out to blank. If they do divorce, then look, the 49ers are going to try and get whatever they can and trade, and Debo is just going to go where the the money takes him, and that could be the Jets, maybe Green Bay. I want to get into. That. I want to get into the best fits for Debo, uh, who would absolutely be a quality pickup. But the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, Sam. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position, like Debo, will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com. Use the exclusive code PFF at checkout, and you get 20% off plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. And in the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, look Look, fellas, don't fall off for a draft board. The ladies out there think long nose hair is a major turnoff. I did not know that. The Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job there as well? April is draft season, but it is also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. 
It's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the code PFF to turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick using our friends over at Manscaped. So best fits for Debo Samuel. You are of the mind that the 49ers are the best fit for Debo Samuel. I mean, Is that right? Yes. Yes. The 49ers are the best fit for Debo Samuel. If he's moving, then you start looking at the teams that have... I so think. why? So everybody's talking Jets, yeah, because you have Mike Lafleur there, yeah. same same system, and everybody's talking Dolphins, even though they've already made well, a massive investment in Tyreek Hill. But I, Dolphins have Mike McDaniel. The Dolphins, I don't know. The Dolphins are not a fit to me. Why not? How, they, Too many playmakers. I don't think they can cram Tyree. I don't know that they can craft an offense that contains both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. You want to add Debo to that and say, what does that look like? Not a chance in hell. Probably not. No way. So the Packers could I think, be in play yeah, here. Look, the Jets make sense because, A, there's a LaFleur connection, and, B, they have a need of wide receiver. Yes. The Packers make sense because they have two first-round picks and a need of wide receiver, a desperate one, in fact. Um, and, by the way, we're willing to pay Devontae Adams the monster contract to keep him there. Now, they weren't willing to do that until essentially it was too late, so... Let's give them partial credit for that. But the point is, like, they're willing to give some money out to a wide receiver. So, remember, you have to factor in not just your trading for this dude, but you're going to have to give him the contract that he wants. Otherwise, you're in the same situation San Francisco was, only you just traded for him. So, the Packers, I think, make some sense because, A, they have the picks to do it, and, B, they had the, willing, the willingness to dedicate that kind of money to a receiver, and he's younger. Uh, Kansas City, I no. They have the picks. They need wide receivers, but they don't want to give up that contract. So I don't really see that one happening. Yeah, so I think as far as the Jets go and the Packers, I think you hit on it, like willingness, right? The Jets were in on Tyree Kill, probably would have paid him, and you've got the fit for Debo there. Man, so that would be Debo Samuel, Elijah Moore, unless there's trade, unless there's players traded. Elijah Moore, Corey Davis over there with the Jets, the couple tight ends that they got in free agency. If it's the Packers... They were they wanted to pay Devontae Adams. There's risk in Devontae Adams being a little bit older. De, uh, Debo's only 26 years old, so I'm sure the Packers would be more comfortable paying him that money. I guess my question there is you're probably not using him. You're certainly not using him the same way the Niners are, right? With you've, you've got running backs. You have a system in place. You have a, a year or two more of Aaron Rodgers. Is Debo Samuel actually a good fit for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, look, Debo Samuel can succeed everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I think the question is, is he worth 25 to 30 million everywhere? No, to me. But that's, like, the, that's the issue. Like, I don't know if he's worth 25 to 30 million in Green Bay. Is he worth 18, 20 million? Maybe. But the 25 to 30 million, is he going to be that 150 target guy but, yeah. and Aaron Rodgers' go to guy? I don't know if that's the case. They're, like, they're almost two different questions because the thing is, he's going to get, like, in order to get him, a team is going to have to pay him that because presumably that's the source of this entire thing. So. Whatever team trades for him is giving him that kind of contract. Then they need to figure out if they can create that kind of value with him in a more conventional offense that doesn't have Kyle Shanahan making weird things happen. So does he have the same value in Green Bay as San Francisco? No. I've already said that. I think his best value is in San Francisco. Um, but Green Bay would have to pay him that to get him there. So like it doesn't matter it's just it's a moot point you're, that's how much it's going to cost to get Debo and you're probably going to be overpaying him to make that happen yeah I'm just looking at you know cap space for next uh starting in 2023 
you have teams like the like the Bears have a ridiculous amount of cap space. I'm sure that's not sure. the most attractive spot for Debo Samuel, unless he just cares about getting paid. Bears, Falcons, Giants, Cardinals. Sneaky team that might make a, a move like this. Um, New Orleans. Mm. Need a wide receiver. Just maneuvered themselves to get two first-round picks. If that maneuver was to get a wide receiver and a tackle as opposed to positioning themselves to jump up higher in the draft and go after a quarterback or whatever. Like if they're planning on using both those first round picks, one of them for Debo or one of them as part of a trade for Debo and then give them a giant contract. The Saints are the kind of team that will just pay that and figure it out later, you know? (laughs) So I am, I'm, I'm looking at our friends over at over the cap sorted by cap space for 2023 of every, every time this is listed up until the first day of the league year, the, ca- the Saints are always last. Yeah. Right now, $42 million over next year's cap, by far last in the league, but they always figure it out. They, they were like $120 million this time yeah, a year this ago. Is like, this is, yeah, this is easy street. So, yeah, the Saints are an interesting one. Um, I think there's already people in the YouTube channel. I mean, this is how you have to view this, right? If you're the Jets picking at 4-10 and 10, and you're going to draft a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London or whoever you're going to draft, potentially, or if you're the Saints going to draft a receiver or you're the whoever – Eagles, who, whatever team it might be, it's not just Debo Samuel versus that receiver, of course. It's a first contract receiver yeah. versus Debo Samuel about to make presumably $25 million per year plus. And is Debo Samuel worth that plus the opportunity cost of that other, what other, other picks, whatever other picks you have to give up? Yeah, I mean, we keep talking about the, the Vikings and... Uh, going from Stefan Diggs to Justin Jefferson and how they basically nailed that about as well as you can. And if you look at their production since that point, those two receivers have been really close, almost identical. Um, but it's cost like $30 million less to have one than the other. And Stefan Diggs was on a cheap deal. Like that's not, he was on nothing like a market leading type of deal. So effectively, in, a, in really reductive, simple terms. You can boil that deal down to the Vikings or, or Buffalo paid $30 million for the certainty, you know? They paid $30 million for the guarantee of getting that kind of production. Or the Vikings were willing to save $30 million for the gamble that you could replace what they gave up. So if you're a team like the Jets or any of these other teams that are thinking about using a first-round pick on a wide receiver – that's the cost, right? It's, it's you are going to pay Debo $25, $30 million a year, a monster sum of money for the certainty that you're getting Debo as opposed to rolling the dice on a wide receiver in the first round. Um, the Jets with two, for, two high first-round picks, that trade would, I think, be a lot more creative to be more involved, obviously. I think Debo's value, quote-unquote, is like a low first-round pick at maximum, so you're talking – the Green Bays, the Kansas Cities of the world might be able to trade one of those picks straight up for Debo. Anybody else, there's going to be other stuff involved. Green Bay and Kansas City are just, they're the interesting discussion, right? Because they just, I don't want to say the Packers just made the decision. They did want to pay Devontae Adams, but they had to trade him. The Chiefs just made the decision we're not going to pay Tyree Kill. Yeah. And, and we're going to get the five draft picks in return. But does a 26-year-old Debo Samuel change that a little bit? He's not the same player as Tyree Kill. But a yak player in a yak offense, right? I mean, that is yards after the catch is a huge part of the Chiefs game. I I feel like they're creative enough to use them. I feel like the Packers maybe aren't, right? They would just say, go play wide receiver and and we'll 
you know, you'll be a good receiver. So I think the Chiefs are interesting here, but I don't know if it's did they not did they trade Tyree Kill and not pay him because it's Tyree Kill and it's his age and they knew his value was five draft picks, or or are they more willing to do it for a few million less and a younger player? You know what I'm saying? It might not be a few million less though. Like it might not be. Um, oh, another team that would be in the Lions. So the Lions have another one of those teams with a low first-round pick, uh, and they have wide receiver need, and they're in the midst of rebuilding, and Debo could theoretically be a keystone piece of this rebuild. How about the Colts? Mm. They don't have a first-round pick. I was looking at uh, Washington. They don't really have crazy draft capital or anything like that, but because my strategy is they need But they're going to have to pay McLaurin, so they're not going to— Yeah, you can't play, pay McLaurin. I mean, look, the you probably can't pay McLaurin and— Debo Samuel. No. The Chargers, the Chargers have it great, right? I mean, you've got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams both right at $20 million. Is that the – that might be the sweet spot of – just think about the difference between 20 and $28 million, right? $8 million gets you another player, right? Yeah. It, you know, they're paying a guy 20 versus 28. It gets you another decent player. Um, so any other locations you think that, that might make sense? No, I think we've kind of covered all of them. Um but then the question becomes, you know, what does this do for A.J. Brown, for uh, Terry McLaurin? Like, A.J. Brown, apparently, <laughs> was deleting Tennessee from whatever the hell it was. I mean, is, he's, he's obviously agitating for the new contract. Yeah. Uh, McLaurin doesn't appear to be agitating for the new contract, but, you know, obviously wants a new contract as well. Are, should either of those guys be on the block the way – Debo potentially is, or at least wants to be. So both of those guys are more traditional receivers, and I think you're going to make – I don't want to take away from Debo because I love him so much, but A.J. Brown feels like the cleanest of those guys, right? You're going to plug A.J. Brown into any offense, and they're well, going to get so much better. I don't know. So he might be the cleanest of them in terms of overall skill set, but he's also got a much more extensive injury history That's than, true. than you McLaren do have, does. You do have the injury history there. Who, Let's face it, McLaren's pretty much a clean, complete superstar wide receiver without the injury history. And, yeah, and he hasn't had the quarterback to get him the ball and everything. Right. But here's the thing with A.J. Brown, though, because we've talked about number one wide receivers as force multipliers and all that stuff. And if you look at Julio Jones' history and Matt Ryan with his on-off splits with Julio, whatever. If you want to pair Tannehill's career resurgence with Derrick Henry, you could make that argument, you know. But I, you could also make it with A.J. Brown. That's the other X factor in, in Ryan Tannehill going from slightly above average quarterback to one of the more efficient throw-for-throw quarterbacks in the NFL over these last three years. I think A.J. Brown has that kind of effect. So, yeah, and I think he does that everywhere, right? So, like, should they be on the block? I, I mean, I guess. It depends on if the Titans want to pay 30. It depends on if the commanders want to pay almost yeah, 30 because it, it's got to be up in that, in that range. The bottom line with all this is that new Compkins deal is still screwing up wide receiver negotiations like there have been contracts now get to there but it's still causing problems like you're either willing to take what the team believes is the market value and do the stefan diggs type of deal or you need to find the team that's willing to make that jump and essentially exceed where the market should have taken it because those are the contracts that are like falling in line with the deandre hopkins deal which was out of whack with where the rest of wide receiver contracts are so to me all three teams should pay those three respective wide receivers. Now, 
the 49ers, I don't think, should go as far as Debo appears to want to go, i.e., they should not make Debo a $28, $30 million a year receiver. I, I just don't think he's worth that for them or anybody else. So if that's what it takes to keep Debo, I think they're going to have to trade him. The Titans and the Commanders, I think, arguably should go that high. Like, th- their wide receivers are – they're both elite. They're both, like, complete skill set guys. They're both dominant out on the outside. Like, what's the point in drafting those guys if you're not going to keep them? Like, at yeah. some point, you're going to have to factor in that if he's as good as you think he is, you're going to need to pay him market-leading money. The yeah, problem and I think- is – the, the market, it's just it's market leading plus the Hopkins inflation. All right, so I'll, I'm with you there, man. I think the Titans, Titans have to do what they can around Ryan Tannehill. And the Commanders absolutely have to do what they can around Carson Wentz. Whereas the 49ers are in this intriguing spot where they can get a whole bunch back. They've found ways to create offense with all sorts of different personnel groupings through the years. And you just kind of like have enough confidence that they're going to be able to do it. And maybe the long-term play is to get draft picks back for Debo Samuel. So where's Debo going to land? I'll say the Jets. Jets are going to go all in for him there. Hmm. Uh, I like the New Orleans idea now that I brought it up. Nice, nice one. This kind of move the Saints would make. You know? Yeah. Like you're looking at the to cap space the thing. It's like, who makes the most sense? You look at the – no, no. It's the team that doesn't seem to make the most sense on yeah. paper. To hell the with the future of the Saints right now. Future Jet or future Saint, Debo Samuel. Uh, the Titans discussion uh, is an interesting one because we did have an email, right? Mm. Am, I, am I jumping around here? Can I do that? I mean, you can do whatever you like. You're the, you're the host. I do. I facilitate. You point facilitate. guard. Yeah, yeah. Mom, point guard, whatever you want to call me. Um, we do you. have a Titans-related question. We had a Debo-related question, too, which was Yeah, who's that from? We'll, uh, we'll cover that. I'll give him a shout-out just because we kind of talked about it. Phil. Uh, Phil. Phil. That's Phil. Phil was asking about Debo from Scotland. Phil from Scotland. I was, I was about to say, is that Phil Sims? But it's not. No. I don't think Phil Sims from Scotland. He, I don't think so. Maybe he's moved to Scotland since. It's possible. It is possible. Anyway. Unlikely Phil Sims, but it's Phil from Scotland. He asked about Debo, A.J. Brown, Terry Oh, McLaren, Phil must know Gordon. Et cetera. He must know Gordon because he's from Scotland? Yeah. Okay. That's how it works, right? Is Scotland like Ireland? Everybody knows each other? Don't you guys? Or is that just Dublin? I, it's not really anywhere. The, it's not that everyone knows everybody in Ireland. The, the sort of the quirk of Ireland is that you can basically like write a vague description of a guy on a letter and send it, and the post office will get it there. You know, like if you write your man from up the lane that's doing a masters in Trinity, you know, to, to send it, it'll get there. It'll get there. Yeah, and Have the post you, is really good. There, yeah. there's all these like it's a, they come up every now and again in these sort of you know regional like meme factory type accounts you know like just a letter that somebody's thrown in presumably to test them at this point right? yeah there's no say. way people are doing this like that's how they think the best way of getting in touch with this person is so presumably there are people that drop these things in to actually test and post uh and they throw it in and it gets there you know it's a pretty small place once you get out in the sticks <laughs> anyway what the hell were we talking about titans yes. titans email uh you gonna read it yeah this email is from david frost Uh, Hello, Sam and Steve. Appreciate the work you guys put into the show each week. I wanted to speak on behalf of Titans fans for the moment. There are picks that we'd be okay with hearing in mock drafts to the Titans at 26. Here are the demands with GM John Robinson's recent draft history in mind. Number one, it's got to be offense. 
The Titans believe they're in a Super Bowl window with this team, a window that's shrinking. The team is saddled with Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback, and have preached the need to be great around him. Number two, a wide receiver is preferred. Cue the ASC arms race discussion. We saw what happened last year when the Titans had to depend on just A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Depth is needed. The top projected options are likely off the board at 26, but there are plenty of fringe first-round options that could be available. George Pickens, to me, is the perfect fit that nobody's talking about. John Robinson has shown the willingness to take a chance on special, even if it means accepting some injury history. Jeffrey Simmons, Caleb Farley. Pickens has also expressed a love for run blocking. It may be silly, but that's music to the ears of Mike Rabel and John Robinson. Um, also, by the way, as an aside, I mean, they might be losing A.J. Brown. So yeah. Might be more necessary than ever. Number three, offensive line is another option. There's a section of Titans fans who will be disappointed by another high pick spent on the offensive line. It's not sexy, but remains a need nonetheless with the core group either aging or entering a contract year. Zion Johnson, in particular, has a connection to the team having played with Mike Vrabel's son, Tyler, on the Boston College offensive line. Look at that connection. Yeah. I realize I've highlighted two players who have not fallen to the Titans in any of your recent mocks, Sam. It's a frustrating spot to be in with so many teams picking in the 20s having similar needs. I can't will any player into, into existence for the Titans, but there should still be plenty of offensive options should they decide to stay at 26. Tyler Smith in the latest mock draft is as close as you've come so far to maximizing the pick. Curious to hear your thoughts. David That's Frost. why you read this. You got a compliment out of it. I, is that a compliment? That's very backhanded if it is. Well, no, because you already picked George Pickens. That's the closest you've come to doing you know, anything useful. Yeah, but I think that was implying that's the closest anybody has come to, to maximizing it. I think everybody's screwing up the Titans pick for okay. Titans fans. I think the George Pickens one is, is a fascinating one. That's your, one of your guys in mm-hmm. the draft here. Uh, we, you, we're, giving them, we're giving him to Green Bay quite a bit i think he's fine there with or without aj brown right because they they don't yeah. have julio jones anymore right they wanted to have julio jones it didn't work out can you of course you can make george pickens and aj brown work it's definitely more of a two wide receiver system and you have two really good outside receivers i like i like the pickens thought there i also like the history that he brought to the table there that john robinson has taken jeffrey simmons and caleb farley and tried to hit first round home runs especially on the, in the back half of the first round where hit rate is really all over the place compared to picking in the top 10 or picking in the top 12 to 13. The hit rate's all over the place. Why not try to, um, to get a guy with top 10 caliber ability? And I think, you know, Pickens probably resembles that remark. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Pickens makes sense. Um, I, I think wide receiver generally makes sense. I, my, my issue with the Titans has been more that, like, if there is, if there are picks that they that the fan base as a whole is happy with, and you know this seems to suggest that there are, uh, it's more that I don't know that they appreciate their own negatives. Like <laughs> it's not like we, there are teams that we've been given picks on some of these mock drafts. We're like, no, this genuinely isn't a need, right? Buffalo, where we gave them Linderbaum, uh, Washington, when we gave them Evan Neal. Like there are picks we've made. Where you can, de- I, I'm not even trying to argue that it's a need. I'm just you know, there's a way, and it's a best player available type of deal. At some point, you just pick for value. There are picks. I don't think any of those so we've given Tennessee. Thought they have Robert Woods there too, by the way. But that yeah, still yeah. all works. I don't think there's any pick that we've given Tennessee where it's like that falls into that category of like, oh, this is just value. There's no need here whatsoever. The point is like they have some holes that you, you, you know Titans fans aren't necessarily acknowledging. 
I mean, the, the, the perfect value plus need pick is probably Zion Johnson, right, at guard. And you went Tyler Smith, who's a tackle sl- slash, guard. slash guard, right, potentially there. Because Jamarco Jones, who I did like coming out as a developmental prospect, hasn't developed. He is on the roster. He might be their starting left guard at the moment. Could be Derwin Gray. Could be anyone. But that does fill an actual starting spot there if it is Zion Johnson from Boston College. And I do like the, uh, the Vrabel connection because Tyler is – Zion's teammate. Um, <clears throat> the other part of it, does Debo, the Debo Samuel thing, just to connect to this once again, doesn't that further the idea that you always just need to draft the best players at the most valuable positions? Draft, you know, or, or not say, well, we already have Debo Samuel, we're not going to look at wide receiver. We already have so-and-so, we're not going to look at this player. Because rosters really do turn over daily, and and you just don't know. Like, you can't, Maybe you just can't bank on having Debo Samuel on your team. You can't bank on having Kyler Murray on your team, maybe, if you're the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not saying keep drafting QBs necessarily, but I think that's the importance of not letting the current roster dictate your, your draft strategy, well, other than maybe path to playing time and resource distribution. Well, what it does is ensure or enforce that you have to be planning your roster you have to have at least a one-year outlook. You have to have a two-year look outlook of what the team is going to be and where the turnover is going to be and where the money is going to be in a year's time, in two years' time. And, you know, Ben Stockwell was pointing out with the Evan Neal thing, even though they have right now two starting offensive tackles, um, those guys are not necessarily there long-term, contractually. Right. Like, they can get out of deals quickly enough, right? And there's a path to playing time for Evan Neal and, and et cetera. So even though, like, right now it doesn't look great, in a year's time it might look a hell of a lot better. Um, so when you're – and this is, you know, Dallas, right? Classic example of the opposite. Dallas just didn't seem to see any of the contracts that were coming up or the impacts that they were going to have coming. Like, they didn't have this one, two-year outlook. It was like, oh, crap. They just got surprised by it. It's like, here's the bill. You know, when you're – you know. Like, on a, by which one? Not by put, Debo's development? No, no, no. But Dallas by like all of the contracts. That, oh, oh, right. Yeah, it's yeah. not to put myself in the shoes of a billionaire again, right? But Do I it. would imagine if you're that stinking rich, you know, you don't really think about what the bill's going to be at the end of like dinner. You know, you go out, you get whatever you want, and then eventually somebody turns up with a sum with a bill, uh, and you just read the number, you're like, ah, right. But if if you're a little bit less rich than the billionaire, right? You might there might be a, a sum, there might be a figure on that sheet of paper that is a bit jarring. You know, you're like, oh, oh, that was a lot more than I was expecting. You know, that's actually going to bite deep. So it feels like you know Jerry Jones, being as rich as he is, just cruises around, never has to think about the bill. But Jerry Jones, the GM, like at some point somebody's going to show up with a bill, and I have a salary cap to deal with. It's a cap. And when that's too big, you're like, oh, that caused some problems. I didn't see that coming. That's kind of what it felt like happened with Amari Cooper and these deals that came down the pipe. It's like they just didn't think about it until, oh, hang on, wait. Ooh, all of a sudden this is the salary cap's getting squeezed now. The bills do, and I don't want to pay that. Are you saying sometimes it's difficult to be Jerry Jones where one week you're at prime 47? Mm -hmm. Not thinking about the bill. Tabs open. Uh Uh-huh. Tabs open, end of the night, it's yep. closed, doesn't really matter what it is at exactly. time. And then a couple of weeks later, free agency opens, hey, you got a cap. 
You had a cap to worry yeah. about. It's not this open tab at Prime. Well, it's like, yeah, as a GM, Jerry Jones suddenly has to live in the world of other humans where they have to budget. Budgeting. Yeah. yeah. Like, he doesn't have to think about that. Yeah. Man doesn't have to budget for anything. Oh, I, the Jerry bus is breaking down. Just buy a new one. Uh, the, yacht, <laughs> the yacht needs, you know, refurbishing. Get a new one. Whatever. Here's the, here's the credit card. Just, just get it done. By right? Twitter. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes exactly. by Twitter. Elon, you know? I want oh, to edit my tweets. Let's Twitter's not doing it. I'm just going to buy it and fix it myself. Um, all of a sudden, when you're dealing with the salary cap, you have to live in the world of normal people where you actually have to think about the bills coming down the line and move money around or, you know, sell things or make more money or whatever because otherwise you can't afford to pay it. And the best teams in the NFL have that outlook. They understand the moves that are coming down the line ahead of time. So that they're not reacting to these things as if they were a shock. And consequently, they're managing their rosters better. That's what you have to do. So I don't think you necessarily have to see, oh, we're going to have to replace, you know, A.J. Brown. Because we're not going to pay him that kind of money. Or we're going to have to replace Terry McLaurin. We're going to get ahead of that and by, you know, bringing contingency. But you at least have to appreciate, you know, okay, he's looking amazing right now. So in a year's time, we're going to have to pay him the bag. And that's going to, you know, eat $25, $30 million into our salary cap. What does that affect? You know, and plan this out. Like a year ago, this should have been in in the consciousness of every one of these teams, right? If these guys have another good year, like we're on the hook for this money, or we have to decide they're not worth this money and move on from them. But these are the plans that have to be happening. If they didn't, I mean, that's just negligent management, right? So that's why I think receiver and secondary in general are two positions that we've identified as extremely valuable. They're, they're positions where you need multiple starters, and they're positions where you just never want to be weak because they're valuable, right? So it's one of those things where if you continue to draft good receivers or corners, you could find a way to make it work. Like there's a path to the field for those guys. And then it also brings insurance for when your top guy, say the Titans, A.J. Brown, like, if the Titans had drafted a first-round receiver last year, I mean, I, I was fine with the Car- Farley pick, but if they had drafted a first-round receiver last year, you would have found a way to put him on the field with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. And then if A.J. Brown decided he wanted to get traded, hopefully you have a replacement for him as well, right? It's, it's like twofold. I think it's good short-term and long-term, and it's good strategically and tactically. Tactically on the field, strategically as far as team building goes. Um, not to the negligence of, te- of places like tackle, where you just have one starter, and you have to make sure you have your starter. But that's why I do like the idea of bulk, bulk drafting receivers, corners, and those positions where you can use a lot of them, and then if one of them wants to leave, you're not going to be completely screwed at the position as well. Does that answer our Titans question then? I mean, that was good. It was a good thought, well-thought-out question. I'll remember that next time I do a Titans mock draft. Mm. Some, of those, uh, some of that insights from, uh, the insights from David Frost there. Yeah. What else do we have here uh, as far as emails go? So uh, let's do this one. Somebody was asking, Matt, uh, said we needed Brad's input here. I don't think we do, although I have talked to him. <laughs> I was wondering, given David Ojabo's Achilles injury, could there be a hidden benefit for a team who grabbed him at the end of the first round? Given the injury risk factor, consensus is that he'll slide. But could a savvy team take advantage of this? My first thought is simply that over five years, he has more time to recover and a team has a better opportunity to assess his NFL potential when healthy. This is using the fifth-year option that you get from the first rounders second 
and this bit requires more knowledge than I have, I believe one of the factors behind the fifth-year option calculation is playing time over the first three years. If he's redshirted for a year and allowed to fully heal, would that nuke his playing time to the extent that his fifth-year contract could be amazing value? So more than just taking advantage of other teams' conservatism because a talented player won't be an immediate uh, contributor, is there potentially a future financial benefit to derive from selecting an injured player with a high ceiling in round one? He could be limited snap-wise just because he's not good against the run, too. Yeah. I mean, he could just be a 500-snap guy as it is, even when healthy. And just raw and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I mean, I was... So I haven't talked to Brad specifically about this, but I was talking to him a little bit about the fifth-year option stuff and essentially speculating that it feels kind of worthless at the moment because, remember, a few years ago, it was like, oh, you grab a quarterback with the fifth-year option at the bottom of the first round because if he's great... You get the extra year. If he's great. Yes. Right. But the problem is, if he's great, it, you're not using the fifth-year option because you're giving him the contract before then anyway. Right? Like Josh Allen. Josh Allen got the contract. All these quarterbacks, if you're sure, if you believe, you're giving them the $40 million deal way before that fifth-year option is anywhere near relevant. Right? And then, but there's more. But, but there's then, some leverage. If, if they're disaster, you're not giving them anything, right? You're not. It's not a factor. The only ones that it's causing, it's relevant to at all, are guys where you're like you're unsure, and it's a Baker Mayfield thing. And what that's doing more and more is like torpedoing the draft or the trade value of those guys. Baker. So the Browns pick up Baker Mayfield's fifth year option because they're not 100 percent sure if he's the guy, and now they can't get rid of him because nobody wants to pay the fifth year option for him. They don't want to pay that money. The Jets did get rid of him, get, get rid of Sam Darnold, and the fifth year option is saddled Carolina. Like they're screwed. So, really, the only the only team that it's like applicable to is where you reach complete stalemate or impasse, like Lamar Jackson. Lamar. Yeah. So that's the one, right? Where we're sure he's good, but for some reason we can't come to an arrangement on a contract, so we just play the fifth year option because that's that's what we got here. Um, but if but, it buys you another year, that is valuable. Well, because on the other end, because on the other ends, you're basically saying there's no upside. So it's and I, there's some downside if you're stuck with a Darnold. I don't think it's valuable in terms of you using it. But where it is valuable, and this was the point that Brad was making to me, is it's it's negotiation leverage, right? right. It's the ability to keep him around for one more year at this amount of money. That's what, so, I, that's what I was saying. You were saying Brad it's it. valuable to use it. Like, no, but it, you, you the first thing I said when, you, when I was trying to talk over you, interrupting as I always do, yeah. I said leverage. No, that's true. I yelled, you went, I yelled leverage out. Yeah, then you leverage. made a different point. I don't know leverage. I'm a high The leverage high one guy. is the right point. It's like it gives you the ability to make, a little, to make more sense in the contract negotiations, which is what sure. it, So it's becoming this tool now to basically get the contract done as opposed to any threat of actually using it as anything useful. So teams trading into the first round for a quarterback, the, all they're trading for is the potential leverage that they can actually negotiate a deal a little bit easier if that guy's good, as opposed to any threat that they might, oh, get. You, you're not, you know, we used to think of it as like you get one more year of like pretty cheap quarterback play if you hit on that guy. Yeah. You're not because you're never be playing that out, except the Ravens for some reason because they can't get a deal done with Lamar. But that's not what anybody is trading for anymore. What they're trading for, if they're looking for that, is – the leverage of that extra year in guaranteed terms so that if they hit, they can actually get the quarterback to negotiate a new contract. Should more teams be playing it like the Ravens? 
Or is that going to become riskier because you have guys like Kyler Murray to. heading into year four who are just like, forget it, I'm not playing it. I don't think the Ravens are trying to do, play it that way. I think they would sign in tomorrow if they could get a deal done. I don't yeah. like they're not exploiting that. Um, but so when you then start looking at other players or other positions, um, the Ajabo thing is interesting because if we take this premise that he sits out a year because of the Achilles, he plays from then on, he's really good, right? I don't think you offset the value lost by losing essentially a year of his cheap deal completely, right? You get zero value year one because yep. he didn't play, and yet you still paid him. Uh, I don't think that gets offset by the fifth-year option in almost any capacity. Like playing time, you know, there's the, the reduction of playing time that factors into that number involved in the fifth-year option is not going to offset the first year that you lost from him not playing. And... It also factors in things like, you know, Pro Bowls and all pros. Like, if he's really good and he makes a Pro Bowl year two or three, that's completely blown out of the water. Yeah. Um, so my, the bottom line, I think, is no. Like, it's not the, – the real value is losing that year, which is what you're paying for. I don't think you're necessarily offsetting that by getting him for one more year because you're paying him quite a lot of money in that one year. Yeah, I think <clears> – <throat> I lost my train of thought on that. But it, it's the leverage thing, right? Like, right. that's where you come. It's like if he is really good, you do have him under contract for one extra year, which potentially allows you to negotiate the second contract easier than if you only have him for essentially, you know, you would have him zero play from year one. He would presumably be good year two, and then you only have two years left to get him under contract again. See, I don't think I'm back and forth on that because in isolation, I think you're right. But this is that's all that, I need to hear. I think it's when you combine it with other things, right? We always talk about diversifying your portfolio, diversifying your team-building effort, um, and diversifying your draft picks. I think it's okay to try to hit home runs on certain draft picks. It's okay to get – this is why I keep saying when teams have two or three draft picks, take the quote-unquote high upside player, however you define that, right? Take the safe player, however you define that. I think think having a mix makes sense, and Ojabo would be – the quote-unquote high upside player because a he's raw b he's injured and if you understanding that your stocks are going to hit at different times so that your players are going to hit at different times right like Rashawn Gary didn't figure it out until end of year two and into year three if you have other ways of mitigating that which the Packers did right they invested in the Zadarius and Preston Smith as edge defenders and then they got value out of those guys and then Rashawn Gary hit at a time when those guys were on their way out the door, right? So you you can balance those things off a little bit. But in isolation, you know, your point is probably true there. The other thing about your point is if players hit late, you're missing on some value. That, that concept has me rethinking the age stuff, right? Because we talk a lot about draft prospect age and like, oh, this guy's 20. He's going to get better. But we've seen a lot of 20-year-olds that Tim Settle – Argument. Tim Settle took four years to become good, then he was gone in Washington. The Seattle get these great athletes strategy where by the time they were good, it's year four or five, they're gone. Do you actually lose value if you just get these developmental players that don't it, it takes them three years to get good? Yeah, right? Do you, like, is that is that an is age overrated in the draft process? It is, but not so the way I think to the only value to age, I think, is um you need to have seen it already. Like, age, I think, is important in terms of, like, when did a guy become good? Because generally speaking, 
really good players don't need the advantage of being older to be good, right? So if a guy was dominant at 19, that's important because it, versus a guy that was dominant only in his senior season when he was 23, right? Because those four yes, years. So that's where if you're using age paired with production. Yes. Right? If you're saying for this age, this is good production, right. that is a good way to use age. Correct. What I'm saying is just saying this guy's young, he'll get better. This guy's old, he won't get better. Yes. And if you're using that in isolation, I think you're overrating age. Right. Because if really, really, if you're still really, Calvin Ridley was like, we were joking, he's 30 years old. He was 23 as a rookie. He was more than good enough at 23 that you got plenty of value out yeah. of Calvin Ridley. Age should not be used as a reason that a guy will be better in the NFL. In terms of, like, this guy is not a great player now, but he's only 19. Therefore, he'll be amazing. You yeah. know? The age should only be used as a differentiator between guys that were already good. This guy was good, but he was good when he was 19, as opposed to this guy who was only good when he hit 22, 23. Right. Because the second guy, you don't know if he was only good because he hit 22, 23. Right? Because he got physically older and more developed and experienced, and that's what made him good versus the first guy that was just amazing right out of the box, and that's an important thing. You shouldn't be taking a guy who hasn't ever been good and saying, yeah, but he's got all the physical tools and he's only 20. Yeah, therefore he'll be better. Right. There's, there's very, very much risk associated with that. Yes. Do we have any other uh, emails to discuss here? Uh, we do. I scrolled down. Maybe a Bobby Wagner interview. You never know. Yeah, it's still right. in our documentation. We're ready for the Bobby Wagner interview. We're ready. It might never happen, but we're, we're there for it. Um, yeah, so Brian Wetzel emailed in with a bunch of questions, only one of which I'm going to read. We already have all the metrics, measurables, and tape from college and the underwear Olympics. We've got all the drills and numbers from pro days, or not. Uh, I'll be curious to know what test drills or questions would – I do I have to read y'all? Yeah, yeah. You have to read it. Would y'all have – have them do differently. Uh, is this from Scotland again? I, I doubt it. <laughs> Seeing how the data points have mapped to success or not in the NFL, what drill would you have players do that they currently don't? Or what info point, data point, would you want to have that they don't give us as an additional metric to help score things better? Long-time listener, keep up the good work. Good question. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's anything different that I would add. I think you get... I think we're closing in on the point where we'll have all of the game-level information that we need, right? So whether it's uh, player tracking information. So, like, if we didn't have player tracking information on yeah. players, I would make them run routes, receivers. Well, you know, I, would, I would want so, to see that. Yeah, the, the player tracking is going to take you to where I would want to go. Right. What I've always wanted is I want, like, I don't, I want to see them run in pads. Yeah. And I want to see them run in what they're going to be wearing on game day, yeah, right? Because otherwise everyone would just show up with, like, you know, Michael Bennett's shoulder pads, the, like, children's ones that he used to wear. Yeah. They were, like, this big and would just sit there. Like, you know, whatever the lightest, smallest thing is, that's what I'll be running my 40 in. But, like, whatever you wore, your final game, you know, of the regular season, that's where you're running your 40 in. Because there's a difference, right? There's a difference. Wearing that crap slows you down. It's, some people handle that better than others. And there's definitely a difference in game speed versus time speed for some players. And I, I've always wondered how much of that is the equipment you have to wear. I'm sure, like, obviously, some of it is technique and the ability to, you know, learn how to start in the 40 and all those kinds of things. But I bet you there's a bunch of players that just don't run as fast once they have shoulder pads 
thigh pads, a helmet on, like the whole shebang. It, it's awkward. It's not, it's not as natural. Um, and I bet some players handle that better than others. I've always wanted to see what impact that has. But you don't need to if you know, the player tracking data is going to get you to that point anyway. So you don't, you know, you don't, there's no point in doing it now. Apparently I've been spammed here. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Seems legit. Cool. Hmm. It's not really relevant to this question, but... I'm just hoping we don't get infected over here. Okay. Just hoping we don't get infected. Twitter DM. Twitter DM asking for help. Tried to oblige. Spam. Hmm. Okay. So you what other... Maybe get your head in the game and, you know... I don't know if there's much I would add to uh, the workout stuff. Because, again, I do think we'll have the game stuff. I think you're right on the game speed thing. Is there something you can do... Because uh, you, you talked about VHS. Vision head start for safeties. At the combine, it's really, it's really controlled, right? Like, go that way. Yeah. Go that way. Let me see you flip your hips. Is there something you can do to, to learn reaction time for, say, a safety or a linebacker? Yes. Um, that might be the other thing I would look at, right? I think there are some positions in football which um, dictate the action. What am I looking at? So there's reactionary positions and proactive positions, essentially, right? A corner is reactive, a linebacker, a safety is reactive, an offensive lineman in pass protection is reactive. I would say, can you do something at the, at the skill sets that are reactive to test those types of things? Yeah, I mean, look, I think you could do a lot with, when we get VR up and running in a serious way, I think both offensive side and defensive side could do a lot in terms of, you almost create like a sort of wonderlick test, but for on-field plays in football, right? Yeah. It's like here, you're going to see 10 basic passing concepts. And, you know, you're going to play the same defense every play, right? You're playing cover three. You're the single high free safety. You're going to see 10 separate passing concepts come your way. And you've got to figure out where the ball's going. Yeah. Right? And you just have to do that on the fly. And you're going to see the difference between a Kyle Hamilton with his inbuilt you know, three yards in his so head. So they're sitting VHS. there with a 3D headset. Yeah, you're playing single high free safety. You're seeing 10 standard pass concepts come your way, and you've got to read and fly to the ball. Yeah. You're going to see the difference between a guy like him and a guy who has no idea what he's doing there, just trying to react. Similarly, quarterbacks, right? That's like the thing that people keep trying to get at with the wonder lick, with the draw it up on the chalkboard crap, with the, like, you're trying to ascertain, can you do this stuff on the fly and make split-second adjustments and react, Right. So you give him, like, you know, maybe the same passing play, but you're going to see five different coverages or whatever at random. Make the snap adjustment, put the ball where it needs to go, done. How quickly can you do that? that again, that's going to be so different for, like, Mac Jones versus Kenny Pickett. The, the, the speed difference between those two guys in that scenario is going to be massive. So here's where my mind was going as you're describing that, right? Because agents have taught players – how to master everything yeah. that they need to go through, right? So if you had this VR, you're going to be single high free safety. At what point do the agents, they're just training their guys, right? Yeah. Like, okay, here are oh, the concepts you're going so, to see. Like in an ideal world, everyone would get like the same, the same five plays or the same five yeah. reps. But the first time like some dude's sixth round pick goes in and immediately he's like, well, what were the plays? Because we're going to tell this dude over yeah. here so he doesn't suck. You're the, you know, you're the guinea pig for my actual real number one client to to dominate now as i was saying that though it's like okay that's just 
why don't teams do that? Why don't they just practice football that way? So I, I have thought of this through the combine training and everything. Combine training has become so good, right, at maximizing footwork on your starts and how to run the agility drills and how to maximize your bench press and all these various things. I'm wondering if teams have things to glean from combine trainers, right? Like, are there, are there ways to teach football, even though they're too, like training for workouts is completely different from training for foot, um, practicing football, are, is there a correlation with how, like, you, there are tangible results with getting guys better at combine drills. Yeah. Are, are there things to glean from how they train for those particular drills with also teaching football? You know, like, when you pull, you know, again, I, I know offensive line coaches have certain techniques, like working with your pulling guard or whatever it might be, but would you be better off actually with a speed coach? teaching your pulling guard how to maximize his footwork and all that stuff you know what i'm saying like i think there might be this is getting off a little bit here the subject but you know maybe there's some some things you could steal from the way they train for the combine and applying it to football which yeah be interesting possibly i mean i think because because if, if we try to get to football stuff that we're going to be testing someone's going to be mastering how yeah. you know how to how to test well in that particular thing obviously that whole idea like the the finer details need to be worked out but i do think that vr opens up a bunch of possibilities the teams haven't been able to get to until then on a sort of standardized level like teams do this that's the whole point and like in you know in home workouts in-house workouts when teams bring in a quarterback or whatever to work them out that's what they're trying to get to right they're like they're trying to get him on the field and run through a bunch of these scenarios and figure out if he can do this stuff on the fly like and you can only do that 30 times in a season you got 30 of those in-person workouts in your facility um in theory if every team could get like a baseline on like a vr thing of what every safety every corner every quarterback every receiver all these guys can do in those scenarios i think that's massively valuable like that's that's the thing is that's basically what the original purpose of the wonder lake is supposed to be right, right. it's like how how smart is this guy but baseline. what you're really asking is can he read football and react to it? I uh, was just talking to a – we talked about some people look at the wonder like, like in reverse, right? At some positions, you don't want it to be too high because it is a reactionary position. It's I heard that again such today. a terrible idea. Was talking to a – name dropping without the name. <laughs> talking to a former GM today, the one who yelled at me. Did you bring up the, the one obvious counter to that whole argument? No, he, his was more on the – I think it was on some of the um, not IQ tests, but some of like the personality tests and stuff like that, where he just there's different correlations for different positions for what you're looking for from a personality. Test I refuse to believe that this ever scenario where being dumber is useful. I just I'm not buying that. I cannot. No, I I'm not having. He it. said specifically, but he said something. There's some test you want lower. I, I at certain I just, positions. I refuse to believe that there is a scenario where being stupider is more useful than being smart. I just, I'm not having it. It's not true. If there's a correlation there, it's being forced by something else. But it's even, a byproduct. But with the wonderlick, it's not really determining if you're smart or not smart. I mean, sometimes it is. It's how well you take the test. Kind of depends what your number is. It, it's how well you take the test. I'm just saying if you and got you're a, just taking that data point and projecting it to on-field performance. I'm just saying if you've got a four, you're not smart. All, all I'm saying is I'm all for uniform testing numbers, whatever it is. So I, that's why I like the combine because we've had it for years in like the 40s, the 40, and what you do with it is on you, right? Right, and that's where I think it's valuable, right? So the VR thing's great. I want to see. 
consistent grit tests. I want to see grit, grit tests. Grit. Yeah. Oh, the other one. I we, want prospects going head-to-head grit test. Going back to uh, our discussion with Joe Thomas, they need to measure arm length the right way. Well, sure. So at the moment, arm length is like out like this. It's from your shoulder blade up here to the tip of your fingers. Yeah. Useless to you because you're net, like, there's you're no scenario. Your right. For offensive linemen in particular, like Joe Thomas had this idea where you would put like a, a plank or a you know, plate or something on their chest and you measure the extension that you can get out to the palm of your hand because yeah. that's what's making contact with the opposing defender. Like, that's the important measurement. How far from your chest, your chest plate, can you get out to the palm of your hand? That's length from an offensive lineman's point of view. That's the important number. So that one. That's what I want to see. Better arm length? Yeah. Correct arm length. Correct arm length. Functional arm length. Functional arm length. Just If you throw functional on anything. Right. Functional slash practical arm length. Functional speed. Functional training. Functional grit test. The grit test, for those who don't know, is a staring contest. Is that more or less gritty than uh, than Sirianni's mini hoops thing? What does he do? He gets some. He gets people to play a game of like mini hoops basketball to you catch know? to just see competitiveness. Yeah, yeah. That is why they like the grit test. They want to see competitiveness, and the personality people like to see the reaction to that. I've heard some. Interesting takeaways on that, and how people. I don't. Again, it's it's tough to balance anecdotal evidence versus hard evidence. But the anecdotal evidence is like, man, this dude, this dude was like just the perfect reaction after the grit testing. Turned out to be a great player. Whereas this other person was like a sociopath and worried and all that stuff, and you know things didn't turn out well for him. But any hard data point that you can then project. Has, might have some value, including the grit test. Yeah. As long as you capture it at the same way. Is there a grit test expert in the room? Is there just one guy who's like your best staring contest guy? Is it your, one, is your best scout? We want the guy with like a glass eye, right? Who never has to blink. <laughs> Jeez. You want the guy with the glass eye for the grit test. Yeah. I'll tell you what's gritty is the PFF draft guide. Gritty, huh? Yeah, it's really gritty. Okay. It's over 500 pages of grit, and you get 50% off using Draft 50. That's the promo code for 50% off PFF Elite Annual. 365 days of access, all of our grades and stats, and unlocked mock draft simulator. All that great stuff is 50% off, uh, maybe only through the draft. So get on it now. Draft 50 is the promo code. 50% off PFF Elite Annual subscription. And go check out Hutch. Either here on the YouTube channel or um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Wow, a thousand people got, got spammed here. I didn't get spammed. Eric McLean from ESPN. Hmm. Former Clemson football captain. You're not supposed to uh, click on links. Any link? No, no links. This seemed legit. Hmm. That's how they get you. No, I know that. I mean... The Nigerian Prince thing. I mean, that sounded yeah, yeah. legit. <laughs> the first time. First time somebody got that email. It's like, wow, how lucky am I? And then, you know, bankrupt. This was, hey, can you do me a favor? Right, immediately. So here's the interesting thing. He has previously asked for a favor in these DMs. <laughs> so that's what made it sound real here for, with Eric in particular. So Okay. Anyway. 
You should probably pay more attention to the podcast and not, you know, get spammed. people. Yeah. Well, this, was fr- this happened before the podcast. Now I'm just getting these updates that like, hey, stay away from that. Okay. Now, luckily, I only went to the website and I didn't go further. Hmm. But uh, hopefully we don't get infected here. Uh-huh. Anyway, the show's over. We're done. Yeah. It's over. So uh, tomorrow we've got the player comp show. We had a lot of fun with uh, Nate Tice from The Athletic, so be sure to tune into that. All of uh, mine, Sam's, and Nate's player comps for a whole bunch of players. Um, most players. We got comps. Yeah. And it was, it was a great discussion. And some weird ones. Really weird ones. I love, Back I to love the 60s for Nate's some. style of comps. Yes. I like that much better than the standard, like, he reminds me of this amalgamation of all pros. Right. It's not all going to be all pros. There could be some third-string running backs on there, too. And that's what's awesome. So go check that out wherever you're listening to us right now. And then next week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, we'll have all of our preview shows leading up. And then we'll be hopefully with you right after the draft. Directly after the draft is the plan to recap round one. Mm -hmm. Late Thursday, early Friday morning. So keep tabs on all that stuff. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys again tomorrow.